podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we've got another uh, awesome guest with us, Florian Daniel. Welcome to the show, Florian. Hi. Glad to be here. All right. So let me introduce you really quick. Uh, we're super happy to have you. Uh, Florian is the co-founder of a company called Carploy, which is an Austrian-based startup that was acquired by Right Amigos, where he is now the technical research lead. Uh, so Florian, again, welcome to the podcast. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experience? Yeah, hi again. Um, totally. So... What I do at Carblu um, uh, and now Radamigos, as you just said, technical research lead. Um, maybe I start with how one becomes a technical research lead. Um, <laughs> it goes without saying when you come from the startup industry, you just kind of slip into it um, and you fill the gaps and and do what needs to be done to to make the company successful. Um, that's also kind of what what I guess happened to me. Um, I have a background in software development um, and um, product development. Um, from my school and studies, but I also have some experience in like business informatics and uh, management and law, that kind of stuff. So that's my, my basically my educational background. And I tried and played around a little bit with consulting and uh, internet governance and that kind of space, so more the formal regulatory space. Yeah, I noticed very quickly that that's not to my liking. And I'm more like the hands-on approach of like trying to build a product trying to get people to use a product, trying to figure out how we can make it better, how we can um, make people happier using it, how can we get the most value out of it. And that's how I basically decided my <laughs> path forward, I would say, and um, move into Kabuli and Right Amigos. Awesome. So before we dive into a little bit more about you know your experience and kind of what brought you to all of that, outside of all of that, you know, the, the startup and the research, what else do you like to do? Yeah. So outside is a, a limited space. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, of course I always try to keep a healthy work-life balance. Yeah. I, I like to spend time outside. Um, my colleagues um, would say it's, it's not enough. I need to get sportier. So I try to be a little bit sporty, but it's not, it's not too much about <laughs> passion. It's more about conscious and uh, like knowing that it's healthy for my body. I'm a really big fan of League of Legends esports, so I watched that and um, I played a game. Um, on the other side, I don't watch soccer or football or any other of the mainstream sports. And I guess like a lot of people, I'm very interested in the uh, cryptocurrency and crypto technology space. That's like twofold, of course, it's an investment opportunity, but also like from the software development perspective, it's really interesting playing around with the things and seeing how they can be like better or not so good compared to traditional software development approaches. Very interesting. Guess, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to round it up with, with politics. Um, <laughs> just I love to <laughs> talk to people and argue with people. People That's maybe also why I'm in this podcast right now. Um, it's really just fun to, to pick people's brain on how they think and what they think. Very cool. On the the esports, you, you mentioned watching it. Uh, you know, do you participate in you know some of the the tournaments or some of the other things? Do you do like broadcasting yourself on some of those, or is it more just kind of like more casual participation? 
I would say it's more a casual participation, okay. mainly because of my skill level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. And then, you know, have you, are you participating actively in, you know, any of the, any crypto or NFT projects or, or is it, you know, are you kind of diving into that at the moment? Uh, actually not. So not like privately, I'm not um, engaged in any development efforts, I would say. Um, but as Kabul and Ride Amigos, we, we might be sooner than later, but maybe more on that. Oh, okay. In a little while. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a fascinating space. And, uh, that I've, I've been, uh, have, have been actively involved in, in a number of ways over the last little bit as well. So I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think there's a ton of potential there and, and I'm excited for, you know, obviously a lot of new space and a lot to learn in, in all of that with the cryptocurrencies and NFTs. And we'll probably all make a lot of mistakes as we, as in the space, but as, as it matures, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think ton of, ton of cool potential there. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, getting back to, you know, some of uh, your journey and some of the, I guess, startup specific experience, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what brought you specifically into your, your current work. And I guess more specifically into the commuting space with Carploy and then Ride Amigos. Um, you know, what, I guess, what kind of focused you specifically in that area? Um, yeah, that's an interesting story, actually. Um, so I'd, I'm not one of the original founders of Carplu. So I joined Carplu like one year um, after it got founded um, by three friends of mine that I already knew from, from Austria. And I could very much identify with what Kabli was trying to do, which is uh, reducing the number of people that are commuting alone in their cars, so really focused on the car and bringing that to the B2B space with employees. So that's also where the name comes from. Name comes from. I, I'm living in a town called Linz. It has like around, um, I think, 200 to 300,000 um, inhabitants. And if you live outside of Linz, um, usually you go through a, a comparably big traffic jam for the region to get to your workplace. Um, I have a lot of friends and family members that do that every day, Monday through Friday, and it's a pain. Um, it, you waste so much of your precious lifetime sitting in the car alone. Um, and it's, it's bad. It's basically bad for you. It's bad for your family. Uh, it's bad for the money that you have because it costs a lot of money. And it's also bad for the environment, of course. So that's kind of how it was very obvious to, to move into or help Kabli become successful. So that's where I started working with, with the team as the, as the first employee. And we tried to, um, yeah, bring it to employers in, in upper Austria and in Austria. So that's where I moved into the commuting space basically, but with Kabli, we focused really only on the car and with the, with the acquisition by Ride Amigos, we now for building how people come to the, um, workplace and how people uh, move from A to B. Um, the, the, the worst <laughs> option is the car. So we're happy if people take the transit, um, bike, um, or walk, but now it's really about, um, or we focus our work on how we can get people to actually switch their mode. So, um, maybe they switch from the car to a carpool, which is great because that saves us one, two, maybe even three cars on the road. But how awesome would it be if people would switch from the car, um, to the public transit or switch from the car to the bike because there are a lot of people that commute uh, within the city in a bikeable distance, but they 
just don't feel comfortable enough um, doing it or never got used to it because our society is so focused around cars. A lot in, in Austria and Germany with the big car manufacturers, but uh, in the US, USA, of course, as well. So that's where um, we are right now in the commuting space. And that's what we try to do with what is what we call Pave Commute, which is our newest app that, that tries to do that um, by applying behavioral science in the commuting space. Interesting. I, I think this is such, it's such a fascinating thing for me because I, I agree with you that the car centricity of uh, so much of what we do is is so deeply ingrained in so many of our cultures, you know, maybe not every culture, but like you said, certainly um, a lot in the United States and Austria and Germany in, in, in probably many other places as well. You know, the, the idea of commuting to, to work, I guess a couple questions that I wanted to kind of pull on with that. First off, you, you kind of mentioned that uh, success for, for you really looks like, you know, the, the transition to other types of things. So, you know, reducing the, the rides, is that ultimately what success looks like, um, for, for you, for, for your software, for the solution that you're trying to, to do, or does it go beyond that? That's, that's an interesting question. I would say, um, if you would ask the business development team, I guess <laughs> success looks like, uh, the active users per month account <laughs> and that's what it's about. Um, no, what I would, I would say um, it's about getting people at first to move away from the car, so mm -hmm. trying a more sustainable commute. But it's not only about trying it, but actually um, changing the behavior of of people in in the long term. So um, while we are really happy if people continue to use our app, um, it's more about people changing their behavior and tracking that behavior change with our app. So we want to try to be that nudge um, that that makes them change the behavior. Um, but true success is when we, when we have a sustainable, or like, like a measurable and feelable impact on, on the workforce, I would say. So if, if you think about like an example company with a couple hundred employees, um, and 90% of them, um, use the car to get to work and back home. So let's say we have 100 employees and we need 90 parking spaces, um, to, to, to have them basically park and allow them to park and get to work. And if we can get, um, even 20 people to, to switch to a more sustainable commute. And then we imagine the, the space that 20 parking lots require. Um, even if you build them tiny, you can place a couple of trees, make, make a nice green area, um, put something to sit there and <laughs> suddenly the place at the, the workplace looks way nicer and is more enjoyable. And I feel like that's what it's about. Like an, a commute that you don't do with your car is usually more enjoyable because riding your bike is more fun. Um, in transit or in the public, in the bus or in the tube, you can work or you can read, but in the car, you just sit there and you have to control the car, um, which is, I would say a, a mediocre experience. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and really brings a lot of possibilities to mind, both in what you can do with the commute itself, but then also what you can do at the end of that commute, you know, like you said, with, with the parking lot and the savings there and, you know, what can be done, you know, potentially with, you know, the, the transition away from, you know, having to, to, to have all of these cars in a place and then, you know, move them from offices to homes and back and forth and things like that. Fascinating stuff. You know, the, the next thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, the, the, the pandemic, you know, obviously a lot of people 
have started working more remotely during the pandemic, but a lot of people have not. Um, you know, what have you seen both during and post pandemic as far as commuting and ride sharing go? I mean, I guess it's globally the same. Once the pandemic hit, we have basically gone to zero commuting um, for a period of time, um, which was great for the environment, right? <laughs> but of course, very frustrating for, for us at home. Mm -hmm. I'm being stuck at home and in flats that are not suitable or have never been designed for us to, to work from home. So, so during the, the height of the pandemic, we've of course seen reduced usage of, of our services, um, but not really something that we worried about at all because it's, it's a great trend. Like we, we love that people uh, do more flexible approaches, but as we see it, now already also from, from bigger companies and also smaller, more like a hybrid um, approach is establishing itself um, where you do two or three um, home office days and then the other days you, you go to the actual office um, if you still have one. <laughs> so um, we, we, focus, we focus on these days, um, which, which cause the same problem. And if you think about um, roads and highways and we think about now we have all this infrastructure and gigantic highways within cities and now we don't use them Monday through Friday, but only two days a week because people commute less. Um, we have a gigantic waste of uh, a space um, in the cities. So I guess there is a lot of challenges resulting from um, people changing how they commute and when they commute. Um, it also requires our products to become more flexible, which is um, from the product of thinking perspective, a whole new challenge because suddenly home office is a big topic. Um, so that's that's very interesting for us but of course we've also seen um we have a big customer in austria um they produce um, um cars um and we have seen that they they cannot switch to home office right the, the factory workers industry workers they still need to go to the factories um and for them our product continue to deliver the, the same service and we also need to think about them and how we can facilitate yep. them the best yep yeah exactly and that's something that I think about a lot is as I've looked around, especially, you know, during and post pandemic that, you know, one, you know, there continue to be many roles, like you mentioned, that involve commuting. And, you know, that's something that will continue, you know, manufacturing and service related roles that, you know, you can't do remotely, uh, like many of our, our roles that, uh, can be done, you know, from home offices, but then also, the the roads and infrastructure that we have you know how it's been built out in again in this car and commute centric mentality and how does that change going forward and how can it change and how should it change going forward uh given the both the continued growth but also the need to just think differently about how we approach it and how we approach commuting and how we approach more sustainability. And so that's super fascinating things because for me, it's, I don't know, um, you know, we continue to see, and this is something like locally continue to see like new roads being built. And it just, it always irks me because it's like, you know, why, why can't we think more creatively about how we can solve these problems when it's kind of like you're doing, you know, when it's, ride sharing for commuting as opposed to, you know, just we build more roads like we've always done uh, when there are so many better potential solutions versus, you know, the same solution that we've always had in the past. Anyway. 
Oh yeah, and these these new roads basically you can think of as, as nudges from the other side, right? So while we try to nudge users to to move away from the car, this pretty new road or intersection um, that got built is like a a devil on on one's shoulder saying, "Let's try that. Let's ride the car again because it's now faster." And so many people get triggered by that, and then you build a new road, and it's it's jammed right away. Um, and if you think about how much road and and car infrastructure costs if you could use that money to reward people to not take their car you could get so much money by you could make money by riding your bike or riding public transit instead of paying for it yep yeah exactly exactly uh so you know as we've talked you are the lead researcher for uh ride amigos and you know we've talked about the value of research and it's a super important thing in product development and software development. Um, how, how do you approach research, uh, in, in your role and, you know, from a software and product development standpoint, both early on, and then as you continue to, you know, develop the, the features and the parts of the application to ensure that, you know, you're, you're creating the right thing. In my role as technical research lead, I perceive myself as like the inter- or like the bridge between the core software development team, which I'm also part of still, um, and business development and sales and um, basically company growth team, if you can name it that. So um, basically more the business people. Um, and it's an interesting challenge because um, from the business perspective, um, a research grant and research or basically research that involves a research grant um, which is most often the case, especially for smaller companies like we are one, um, where you secure some funding um, to actually do the research um, is always very interesting because you, you get cash, sometimes you get it up front, um, maybe it's a, a cheap loan. So there are a business interests in, in, in pushing research. Um, it, it delivers this big and easy promise of building your USP because it's research and you invest in new technology, um, which is mostly also true. So it probably be we used and we continue to use research to build our USB and to have the opportunity and the resources to to work with researchers um, from universities and not um, build everything um, from scratch um, with just some uh, ideation phases within the company. So it, it's a great opportunity to get um, additional and external help um, uh, on tricky problems. Um, but it's also a very slippery slope um, um, because very big corporations have, have the luxury of having dedicated research teams. So they just run in their silos. Um, they do long-term research, short-term research. Um, and if something doesn't work out, um, it, it's discarded. And if something works out, great. It, you can find it a couple of years later in the, in the main product lineup. If you're a startup, you don't have a research team. You have your core team. The only team is like five people, for example. Um, and if you dedicate yourself to a research project, that's, for example, um, two years um, of, of time that you need to invest. Um, this is an, mostly an all or nothing thing. So um, you have to make sure that the research that you do is benefiting the, your idea, your mission, and your, your vision of the startup. So from a startup perspective, there is like the clear advantage. Research is a funding opportunity for a startup. Um, it's a good selling point for um, potential clients, but also for potential investors. But on the other side, you always need to carefully evaluate how much further does it bring you on your road. So basically, if you go your road towards fulfilling your, your mission, um, how much 
along the way does it bring you and how much uh, does it bring you away basically sidetracks you because maybe in a, a year or half a year you are in the process of <laughs> revisiting your idea because you notice <laughs> the market is not responding too well which is very very common and very very normal for startups yep. but if you have committed yourself to a research proposal with a university and maybe one or two other companies um it's a different challenge um and and that's what i try to navigate um day to day because there is a lot of opportunity and thankfully a lot of great partners out there that you want to collaborate with with but you have to be very picky on what you do and where you do where you say no thank you um this sounds great this might be a good good funding opportunity it, the idea is very interesting but it's just not suitable or it's just not manageable with the resources that we have at the moment so very distinct advantages very distinct disadvantages <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm always curious, especially going from early startups to, um, you know, different stages of startup, uh, and being part of, you know, the founding team at CarPoy and then, you know, moving into Right Amigos, which still very much a startup. You know, what have been some of the things that you have, have learned early on, um, you know, either at Car at CarPloy or with Ryan Amigos that have kind of influenced some of the decisions that, that you make in your role. So I get, I guess one of the bigger ones is, uh, <laughs> is sales driven development versus <laughs> product driven development. Um, if you have a very energetic salespeople, uh, you usually want to have, right. You want to have people that go out there that sell the product that are enthusiastic about it. Um, they get a lot of feedback, of course, as well. Um, and maybe sometimes it's just a little bit of this, or a little bit of that for, for a customer to sign a contract. So they all try to, to, to bring the, the product team, um, to build that. Um, but this directly conflicts with you actually having an idea of how the product should look like, uh, in the future. Um, because it's not, you're not joining a big corporation, you, you're building a startup, you, you have a clear picture or sometimes you have a clear picture, sometimes you have no clue. Um, but sometimes you have a clear picture of how it should look like, and then you need to decide, is this really relevant, um, for what we want to achieve in the long term? Is this a customer that we want to, um, secure because we believe that's a representative customer, um, compared to the market that we look like. So maybe their idea or their feature wish is very common or is actually just flat out something that's better, um, how they think about the problem compared to how we have thought about the problem, but it's really something that needs to be carefully evaluated. Um, when you touch the core product for a single customer. So I guess that's the main point is sales driven development versus product driven development. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's an ongoing theme, especially in early stages of, uh, both products and companies is finding the right balance of that, uh, because it can be a very, very difficult thing. Um, and frankly, probably at all stages of companies, uh, <laughs> you know, making sure that the product is not too far along that path of a sales driven development, because, uh, while we, we always love our sales teams and the work that they do. And obviously like we, we wouldn't have products and companies without like a lot of times without our sales teams going out there, we most of the time can't be completely beholden to like just what sales needs in order to like make the next deal. And so finding the right balance is, it can be tricky, um, but it's just super, super important in, in making those decisions on 
either being sales led or product led or you know finding the right place in all of that that's that's a good thought you know something that we've been debating a lot recently in many of the things that that we've been working on is the quick iterations versus versus how polished we make something and we were actually just having a, a huge debate on this um, because there are trade-offs with both approaches uh you know getting something out quickly versus you know making sure to kind of uh, polish it and get it out in in more of a final state what are your thoughts on on that and the dilemma of you know getting something out quickly versus getting it out more slowly but a little bit more finished i guess the, you first need to define what's finished and what's <laughs> polished I, i've heard people say yeah we do the polish in the end um and that, and that can can mean a lot of things because when you say you do the polish in the end or before the deadline, it mostly means polish does not happen um, <laughs> because you're behind the schedule. <laughs> so so now it's the question: what what did you not have time to polish? Um, um, and you, it's I think if you basically skipped an entire thing, like for example, you skipped your entire UX UI approach, how you actually want to have users use what you've built. Um, then that's not polished. It's just flat out not finished, and you cannot you cannot ship this to production. If you know that there are some bugs in what you have built, and they can occur when I don't know the moon is shining. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> sometimes you have bugs where you have no clue where they are coming from and, and how they are happening, but you know that they are there. Um, I guess it's totally fine to ship and 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 don't worry about it. Overall, what what we also have done and continue to do because we started on the very very um safe side with being testing everything um in every every release we tested everything even features that we didn't touch because there is always the risk of um some interference with new features or uh, existing code bases so we started with that approach and we moved and we're still moving towards uh ship faster uh, and ship a little more um I would say not so well tested. I don't want to say broken, not so well tested code. Um, so what we try to do is we we try to ship faster. That means we need to rely more. And as a startup, that's of course also a challenge. Um, and the time investment, we need to rely more on continuous delivery um, and continuous integration. So we need to make sure that we can ship everything as fast as possible. And then we rely heavily on bug detection in production. So we use multiple tools um, for the front end and for the back end. So we have two front ends, a mobile app and a, a web app, um, and the back end, um, which, the, which the two front end apps share. And we re rely heavily on detecting bugs and then trying to fix them as fast as possible. And I think that's, I think that's a fine approach. Um, so of course, sometimes you get then um, customers that are not happy, users that are not happy because something doesn't work. Um, but that's why we always also focus massively on support. So we try to re reply as fast as possible, give context to what actually happened and not assume that the user doesn't know, but assume that the user can be educated on what's happening in, the, in basically behind the scenes and why the, something did not happen. And then on the B2B side, we rely on our great customer success people that, um, that talk to our, um, how do you say in English? They, they basically talk to the company and to the responsible people um, in the company that, that bought our products and services to make sure that they have somebody to talk to um, and everybody knows why this error occurred and that we are in the process of fixing it. And I think as long as you do that and you're not a black box to, to the people or to the users and customers that you work with, it's fine to ship fast to production and then fix after. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it is always one of those things that 
it kind of depends and you know finding the right balance again finding the right balance of how do we do this in the right way in order to both get out there quickly but do it in a way that is helping uh more than it's hurting both helping customers and users and helping the business more than it's potentially hurting anybody so i appreciate that uh what has been the most exciting thing for you as you've grown and scaled uh, both Carpoise and then as you've been acquired and, and helped grow and scale uh, Right Amigos? I guess it's just from the software developer experience and and it's just how you, you build a feature and you think like, oh, this is a nice piece of code uh, <laughs> and you're really happy about it and you have in- integration tests and you have unit tests and you're really happy about it. Um, and then you get a couple users on the platform um, and more concurrent users, which is always an issue. Um, and then you see stuff break all around you and sometimes you wake up. So we have users in the U S and we have users in Europe. So that means, and the core development team sits in Europe, sits in Austria. So that means you wake up uh, in the morning and you wake up to hellfire because you have many <laughs> messages and you have bug reports and you have seen that the app crashed or, and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, that's, it now sounds like it's a, not really bad experience, but it's also really exciting because it's a learning process um, of just accepting that that the stuff that you build is not meant to last forever. So um, the code base that you <laughs> that you basically implement once you start your startup is not the one um, that's going to last very long because as you scale and you get more people, the, the stuff that you wrote will be replaced even faster. And that's and that's I think the very exciting thing um, to see from the from the software development experience. I guess from the product. Pers- experience um, it's really just about how how wrong you can be in, in how you design your app and how you design your use experience we have gone and commuting is a very complex space so it's way because we talked in the beginning about uh, crypto like a, a crypto exchange or a wallet where you manage your funds is is very simple it has very simple user stories how you can use it and what are the things that you can do um, a commuting app is one of the most complex things that i've ever seen in my life <laughs> Because commuters are very individual. They have very distinct uh, expectations on their commute. And we need to try to support all of them. And then you try to figure it out and you will always find users uh, and user segments that are just not happy with how you designed it and how this is supposed or how this is behaving because they have completely different expectations. And it's great to see because that means that there is room to grow and room to improve. Yeah, that's super, super interesting. And I'm... I'm interested, uh, going along those same lines, like what you see next coming for your your app, your company, and then also the market and and industry uh, as far as you know commuting and specifically sustainable commuting. You know what what is coming down the pike? So I guess for for the market um, and for the industry of commuting, it's it's a lot about regulations. Um, to be honest, um, it's just and. Thankfully, so from my personal perspective, thankfully, um, um, states and governments are, are waking up to the fact that um, commuting and just uh, the climate crisis is a big issue and they need to take action. So we'll see more regulations in the commuting space as well that impacts employers and employees um, as well, of course. Um, hopefully, it's more regulations on the employer side for forcing employers to to give better options and better choices to the employees and not punishing people that try to get to the workplace, um, but rather um, trying to find a solution with, uh, with employers 
um, how we can make commutes more sustainable. That's of course um, great news for us. Uh, whenever that happens, I get that it's not <laughs> happy news for everybody, but I think the regulation space is something that's gonna ramp up rapidly over the next couple of years, just because there is no way around it. Um, with all the nudging that we do, while while big roads and highways are continue to be built, um, there is not a whole lot that we can do to influence the overall climate crisis. And then from the industry um, space, um, I would say far out, or maybe not so far, it's autonomous driving. It really depends on how the tech is going in that regard. Um, we are not in that space. In, in the USA and in LA, I've seen a lot of cars driving around, but we also hear about um, crashes and, and issues with them. So I hope that they are not too far out because this allows a whole new uh, era of optimization um, also in the commuting space because you can just fill up the cars um, and you finally go away from um, people owning their car to shared mobility. So that's that's a great one. And then now coming down to our company and Ride Amigos, um, what's up for, for PAVE Commute? Um, so our, our behavioral science app um, is moving this on the blockchain. So what we have been struggling with um, in, in the past has been uh, issues where there are so many stakeholders involved in the commute. It's, it's the employer, it's the regional government, it's the local government, it's the federal government, um, it's, it's the transit agencies. <laughs> so it's literally everybody. Um, it's uh, shopping centers. Uh, everybody has an interest in how people commute um, to the, because and where they stop their commute and where they end their commute and how flexible they are to go after work to, to the shopping center, for example. Um, and it's a challenge bringing all of that stakeholders to the same table. And we perceive a very great chance in blockchain technology to uh, accomplishing that. Um, and that's where it's going next or hopefully going next for paved commute. Super fascinating. Well, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see all of those changes because that, that sounds one, uh, like it's very, very needed over the next little while. And two, like it's going to be super fascinating stuff to see. Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, well, before we get to kind of my, our last wrap up questions, I'll ask you for any final thoughts that you have on anything that we've talked about or, or, uh, anything that maybe we didn't get to talk about. I guess you talked about a lot that I just want to, because I just want to use the opportunity to, um, whoever is listening, uh, try to, try to get on a bike, try to get into a bus or a tube or public transit, try to skip on your car. It's, it's, it's not going to cry in your garage. Um, <laughs> um, try to make your commute more sustainable and we love to see that. Yeah. So good. Uh, could, could not agree more. Um, that's awesome. All right. Well, I guess a couple wrap up questions for you as we kind of, uh, end this with our kind of our shout outs and gripes here at the end, but have you read or watched or listened to anything recently that uh, you found interesting or, or would like to share? I, I read a book recently that really influenced or still influencing me a lot. Um, um, it's, it's called Humankind, A Hopeful History. Um, it's, it's written by Rutger Bergman. Um, he's a Dutch historian, not too old. When you think about historians, you usually think about all the people, I think, but <laughs> not too old. Um, and it's really just, um, so why it's so interesting to me, I don't want to spoil the book. Um, but in the business world, it's very much, or it continues to be, um, the main idea that it's about competition and that you compete against each other. And that means that, um, that you think about as other people that they want to 
maybe hurt you. Uh, they they want to, they are not wishing you the very best because they always look on their own advantage. And humankind, a hopeful history is about um, how nice are people, um, how well, basically, how nice are people from, from the roots up. Um, and Rutger Bertmann looks at the history and also the present. And I think he paints a very beautiful picture of how people are in general. And that's influencing me a lot, how I try to treat people. Um, because I now start to just be more positive about people and see like, this person wants me the best. So I will try to um, do the best for them. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. I haven't, I haven't read that one yet. So I'll have to check that one out. We'll put it on the list. Cool. And I guess finally, any products that you are using or have used that uh, you've either enjoyed or have not? So I've brought uh, one that I enjoyed and one that I haven't enjoyed. Yes. <laughs> um, one that I haven't enjoyed that everybody knows, and maybe I get some support, um, is Mac OS. Um, <laughs> I perceive the operating system as a shame um, and a struggle with it daily. Um, is it crashes? Is it fan control? Or is it, this is very nerdy, I know, fan control or is it Bluetooth? Um, so many issues with the operating system. It feels like it's Ubuntu from 2010. I uh, really hope they, they clean that up. I, I'm, it's really a pain for me. And that's really the struggle with daily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I have. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Is there is there an operating system that you prefer? Oh, I I haven't used Windows in quite a while because um, when you do app development, you are forced yeah. to use a Mac um, yep. to deploy your iOS apps. So I cannot really say. Um, I f I feel like that any other operating system is probably better at this point. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. All right, there you go. <laughs> Fighting words for Mac OS. Love it. Oh yeah. And then uh, a product that I have really liked using because it's, it's a startup with a great journey where I can see how the product has improved over the last months and weeks and, and years. It's, it's really awesome to see is Blockpit. Um, it's, it's a recurring theme. It's, it's a crypto tech solution that helps you uh, ma managing your taxes. Um, um, at least for Austria, Germany, I think also in the US and a couple of other countries already. Um, because it's a really intransparent thing, right? And you don't want to be in the legal side of things. Yep. And they have great product people because their product has improved massively um, over the past months. And it's so delightful to see when there is something that has been bothering you for a while now and suddenly it's fixed or they change the behavior and you don't need to think about it. It just works. Um, and I think yeah, Blockbit does a great job with that. Block pay. Okay. I have to check that one out too. I, I'll, I'll say to, in my experience so far, the, the rate of change of a lot of the, uh, the blockchain and crypto technology is just massive. Um, you know, we, like we've been using some, some products as well, like, uh, integrating with a third party tools and things like that. And they, they are moving so rapidly to improve things um, in so many places that it, uh, over the course of just weeks and uh, months, like products are just improving so quickly. It's just, it's awesome to see. I love it. So, all right. Shout out to Blockpit then. I'll have to check that one out as well. Definitely. Cool. All right. Um, well, Florian, this has been an awesome and very, very fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Where can people go to find out more about you? Um, the things that you're working on, your company, uh, anything else? I guess the best would be to go on pavecommute.app. Um, pavecommute.app. Um, that's all about our new product. Um, 
me you can find on on linkedin i guess this is the best uh flora and daniel um and just sent me a request um you can also send me an email but i guess emails are not a thing anymore <laughs> <laughs> awesome well we'll put that in the show notes as well um the links to all of that and again thank you so much for for joining us uh, it has been a very very awesome conversation and a real pleasure thank you all right and thank you everybody for listening see you again next time thanks again for listening if you like the show be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app you can follow the show on twitter at prod by design that's prod underscore by underscore design you can follow me at kyle larry evans on twitter as well if you want more product conversation check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.